Hi, this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We are a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. And if you're new here this morning, uh, we started a couple of weeks ago to walk through Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. And we're calling this series, Rooted and Built Up, How Jesus is Enough for Life. And so week by week, we're just kind of walking verse by verse through the book of, of Colossians. And we, we started a couple of weeks ago. It's been a great week this past week in the life of our church. One of the things that we're talking about in our text today is about the, the growth of the church. And our congregation made a decision this past Wednesday night that really is going to lay the groundwork for years to come for the, the advance of the gospel and the growth of our church and, and the work of, of renovating our church facilities. And so that was a great meeting. I encourage you, if you haven't yet uh, seen it, uh, grab one of the brochures. We'll have them around for a few weeks. It talks about the different plans for our, our church campus and, and what uh, last Wednesday night will enable us to do is to go ahead and get some, some plans and some pictures so that we can really envision what the Lord could do for years to come. But that was a, a great step for the gospel Wednesday night in the life of our church. We had a great time yesterday if you were able to participate in our, our golf tournament to support missions, uh, mission teams in our church. So God gave us a picture-perfect day yesterday. It was just drop-dead uh, gorgeous, and uh, we had a wonderful time. I wish my golf game had been as good as the weather. Uh, that would have been, been nice, you know. The Bible says God, God opposes the proud, and He gives grace to the humble, and every time I play golf, I gain some more humility, right? So that's, a, that's, that's always a, a healthy thing. So we had a wonderful time um, yesterday. Um, and, and a good and support of a good cause as well. Well, let's check out Colossians this morning. Uh, we're, we're talking this morning about news that changes everything. And that news is the gospel. The word gospel means good news. And it's news that changes everything. So let's pick, pick it up kind of where we left off, which is about midway through verse 5 last time. And Paul says this, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for news that is so powerful that it can change everything about us, that it can transform us from the inside out. Lord, all kinds of uh, the world offers all kinds of techniques for, for change, but we know that only you can change the heart. Only the gospel can transform our, our hearts and Father, we thank you for the way that the gospel uh, spreads as we, as we share it. And Father, we pray that you would increasingly uh, make us a congregation that is caught up 
in, in the gospel and that we would love the gospel more and more and that we would be so caught up in this good news that it's not only transforming in our own lives so that we're growing deeper, but that we're also growing wider at the same time as we, as we share the gospel and see more and more lives transformed. It, it's news that changes everything. We pray that you would show us that afresh and anew this morning, right now, by the power of your Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine that you just bought a new house, and uh, your, your yard, your new yard is, it's, well, it's there, but it's pretty sad. It's kind of depressing. Your, your new yard has uh, maybe a few scrawny trees here and there, uh, you know, maybe, a, maybe a few sad-looking uh, bushes that are, that are out there, but it's, overall, you know, it, it's a pretty depressing landscape. When one day you're visited by a friend, And this friend puts a bag of seeds in your hand, and she says, I want you to go outside and plant these. Well, you're you're, you're puzzled, but this is a friend that you trust. And so you go outside, and and, you do this very thing. You, you, You plant these seeds, and within a couple of months, your yard is utterly transformed. There are the most beautiful flowers that you've ever seen, that, that are growing all over the place, and their, their fragrance just, uh, just pervades the atmosphere. They, they smell wonderful, and, and even more, when you look underneath the, the petals of these flowers, there's just the most delicious fruit that you've ever tasted. <laughs> you call your friend, and you say, what on earth did you give me? I mean, I've looked through all the gardening magazines. I, I've, never, I've never seen or heard of such a thing. Your friend says, ah, it's new. And it's, it's transforming yards and gardens all over the world. That's kind of the image that Paul gives us here in these verses, isn't it? But, but the seed that he's talking about is the gospel. God's good news from heaven. This gospel that, that has borne amazing fruit in the lives of the believers in Colossae, and in fact was, was growing and spreading all over the world. Let's talk about four aspects of the gospel this morning. The euangelion, the good news that changes everything. First of all, the gospel is heard. The gospel is heard. What does Paul say to us here in, in verse 5? He says, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. And there's a quote that you sometimes hear in Christian circles. It's, it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, although there's some controversy about whether Francis ever actually said this. But the quote is this, Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Well, it's a catchy, it's a catchy phrase, and it's obvious what the point of that is, that the point is that our lives convey a message, right? Long before we ever speak, our lives, the way that we live, does, does convey a message. And that's very true. But I have problems with that quote. <laughs> Preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words, because the gospel, by definition, includes words. The gospel is something that is heard. No one is going to get saved 
just by looking at our lives. They have to hear. They have to hear the gospel. Now, it's true. If we don't, uh, if we don't walk the walk, then they're not going to listen to our, our talk. Okay? We have to live authentically before them, but that's not enough for someone to be saved. In order for someone to be saved, they have to hear the gospel. The gospel is heard. Now, Paul makes this very clear in places like Romans chapter 10 and verses 13 and 14. As he says there, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them. The gospel is news that has to be heard in order to be embraced. Now, originally, the term gospel was used of, uh, of heralds that would go out and, and announce good news, and particularly when a great battle had been won. They would, these runners would be dispatched to go out to the cities and announce the war is over. Victory has come. That's where the word originally comes from. In, in fact, the most famous example of that is when the Persians invaded Greece um, and they had this huge battle at, the, at, at Marathon. And the, the Greeks won the battle. Uh, the, the Persian invasion was stopped. And runners were sent out from Marathon. Yes, this is where we get the term. Runners were sent out from Marathon to run back into the city of Athens and to announce the victory. The Persian invasion has been stopped. Our forces have, 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 have conquered. We are victorious. Now imagine the honor of being given the task to do that, to be one of these heralds, to, 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 to run into the city and to announce that, that, uh, that, that victory has come. I mean, that's an amazing honor to be able to do that. Imagine how enthusiastic they would have been to be able to run into the city and to announce good news. Listen, why should we be reluctant to announce far greater news than that? Because we have the honor and the privilege to be heralds and to, and to announce that Jesus Christ took our sins upon Himself on the cross, died in our place so that we can be forgiven, has conquered the grave so that we can have eternal life. That's our privilege to be able to... Why would we ever be reluctant to announce that news to people? And we must announce it to them. It has to be heard. So the gospel is heard. Second, the gospel is truth. It's truth. Now... Look at the end of, of verse 5, and, and then in verse 6 also, a couple of times here, he talks about the truth. He says in verse 5, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. And then he says at the end of verse 6, that you've, come to under, you've understood the grace of God in truth. The gospel is truth. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and what? The truth and the life. Jesus is the truth. The gospel is true. Many of you remember the legendary newsman Walter Cronkite. And uh, every, uh, in an age before 24-hour uh, news and uh, before cable television, there are basically three channels, millions of Americans would turn in Monday through Friday at 6.30 to see the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite. 
And if you remember, when at, when at the end of each telecast, how did, how did Cronkite sign off? He would give the date, and then he would say, and that's the way it is. And that's the way it is. And so I grew up thinking, that's the way it is. I mean, if Walter Cronkite says it, you know, it's true. That's just, that's just the way it is. Well, as an adult, I've come to have a little more of a skeptical view of the news. Okay? And I've come to understand that sometimes what is reported is true is not necessarily true. I mean, we saw this in the aftermath of the bombings in Boston when, what, when, when, when rumor was being reported as, as fact. I mean, so sometimes uh, the truth can be, uh, can be distorted, it can be, it can be fuzzy. Sometimes the truth can be uh, twisted by the, the political views of the particular person doing the reporting. And so I have a little more of a skeptical view of, of news these days as an adult because I realize sometimes what's reported as news is not necessarily true. This news is true. <laughs> this good news from heaven, the gospel, it, 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 is, it is the truth. It is true. And it's not, it's, it's not a subjective religious interpretation or opinion. The gospel is historical facts. And they are either true or they are false. And if they are true, then they change everything. I want you to turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let's just look at the gospel once again that Paul and the early Christians proclaimed. Because I want you to see how rooted this is in real space and time, in, in history. The gospel is news. It is news of concrete historical events. Now, this is very clear as Paul talks about the gospel that, that he and the early believers were proclaiming. 1 Corinthians 15 and, and beginning with verse 1. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you were being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. Now, notice how rooted in history this good news is. Look at, the, look at the, the kind of information, the kind of words here that are being used. What happened? Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ was raised. Christ appeared. And then he gives very specific people to whom Christ appeared. This is the gospel. It is not subjective religious opinion. It's not a philosophy. It's not an interpretation of something. The gospel is, is a reporting of things that actually happened in history. And it's either true or false. And if it's true, it changes everything. It changes everything. It's, it's, it's news. Theologian Michael Horton tells about a conversation with a friend of his who was a network news producer. And this friend, who was not yet a Christian, had heard Mike Horton 
makes several passing references in conversation to the fact that Christianity stands or falls on the basis of certain historical events like the resurrection of Christ. And, uh, and his friend stopped him one day and he said, but, but Mike, he said, isn't, isn't religion about the magical aspect of life? I mean, you know, who's to say that, uh, that you know, one interpretation is right and all these others are, are wrong? But you see, like millions of other people, he, he was misunderstanding what Christianity is. Christianity is not an interpretation. It's not, it's not like a religious opinion or, or a philosophy. Christianity is about news. It's news. It's about real things that happened. And if they really happen, they, they, change, they change literally everything. And so... Michael Horton, again, he walked his friend at that point through the historical evidence for the resurrection of Christ. And this network news producer listened to him, and at the end of, end of it, he, he said, now that's news. <laughs> it is news. And it's news that changes everything. And he talks here about how it changes everything, because this, this news is, is, is grace. It's heard, it's truth, and then thirdly, it's grace. What does he say about the gospel at the end of verse 6? Uh, Paul says here that, that uh, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God, the grace of God. Now, we talked last week about what grace is. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is unconditional acceptance for undeserving sinners by an unobligated God. That is grace that is truly amazing. And Christianity is not... This makes Christianity so different than every, other, every religion in the world. Because every, every other religion is about rules or it's about advice, right? Here's some advice about how to make your life better, right? Here's some rules that you need to follow. Here is what you need to do. You need to do these things to earn God's acceptance, to, uh, to, to work your way up to God. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not about what you need to do. It is about what God has done. It's not about you working your way up to earn God's acceptance. It's about God coming down. God descending, God becoming a human being, taking our sins upon Himself, dying on the cross, rising from the dead so that we can have eternal life and all we have to do is embrace that. Trust. Trust in Christ. And, and receive trust in what He has already done. Now that's grace. And then He says this about the Gospel it's growing. It's growing. It's heard. It's truth. It's grace. And then he talks about the growth of the gospel. And, and, and again, we see this in verse 6. He says that the gospel has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. Now, Paul uses two words here to describe the growth of the gospel. First of all, he says that it's bearing fruit. And then he says that it's increasing. 
when he talks about the fact that the gospel is bearing fruit, he's talking about our, their spiritual growth. He's talking about the way that the gospel uh, transforms us internally, the spiritual transformation that comes through the gospel. And, and so we grow deeper through the gospel. And when he talks about the fact that the gospel is increasing, he's talking about the outward extension of the gospel. He's talking about the numerical growth of the church. He's talking about the fact that as we grow deeper in the Lord, that the church is also growing wider in numbers. Let's, let's look at both of these one by one. First of all, he says that it's, it's bearing fruit. He's talking about the fruit that it's bearing in the lives of those who have trusted in the gospel, those who have received, who have believed upon this good news. It, it changes us. It transforms us. It transforms us from the inside out. It begins to bear fruit in our lives. Paul talks about this fruit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 when he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And the first fruit of the Spirit that he mentions there is what? It's love. It's love. And that's the one that he points to here at the end of verse 8, isn't it? He says that Epaphras has come. Paul's writing in Colossians from prison in Rome. But Epaphras, one of these Colossian believers, um, has come and he says that Epaphras has made known to us your what? Your love. Your love in the Spirit. This congregation was, was characterized by love. That was a mark of their spiritual growth. Now last week, we looked at a whole bunch of verses that talk about the fact that the real uh, mark of genuine Christianity is love. When people have really been born again, when they've really trusted in Christ, um, the mark of that, the evidence of that is, is love, and particularly a love for one another in the church. It, it begins there. Jesus says in John 13, 35, By this will all people know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The late theologian Francis Schaeffer described love as the mark of the Christian. It's the mark of the Christian. You know, we can recognize people in different ways. Sometimes when you see someone from another country or another continent, you can, you can get some idea of the region of the world that they're from based on their, their facial features or maybe based upon their skin color. Or if you hear them talk, you hear them talking a certain language or maybe they're you see them, they're dressed in a certain way and you can kind of recognize their nationality. Or, some of you, I can recognize that you come from certain families because you, you, there's so much resemblance between you and other members of your, of your family that I know. And so I can recognize you that way. But the Bible says that the way that we recognize members of God's family is the love the love that we have for one another. N.T. Wright says this about the love of this Colossian congregation. He says this love doesn't simply mean that they all have good feelings about each other. They may or may not. 
What matters is that the behavior which marks out so much of the world, lust, anger, lies, and so on, which split up families and communities, is being replaced by kindness, gentleness, forgiveness, and acceptance of one another as members of the same family, even where there were major differences of background and culture. And so the gospel was bearing fruit and growing them spiritually. They were growing deeper in their love for one another. At the same time, they were growing wider in their outreach. There were more and more people that were coming to know Jesus. And that's, that's what he's talking about here when he says that the gospel is increasing. It's increasing. It was growing. More and more people uh, were coming to Christ. And that had happened in Colossae. And then he says that it was happening all over the world. He says, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. Now, this is a remarkable statement. Because Colossians was written in about A.D. 62, about three decades after the resurrection. So in the, the, the brief span of 30 years the gospel was growing all over the world. Now, when Paul says that, all over the world, he's not talking about every inhabited square mile of planet Earth at that point. You know, he knows that's not the case. He's, he, when he says all over the world, he's using it the way that we sometimes use language where we would say, okay, the Internet or Facebook or whatever is expanding, growing all over the world. Well, we don't mean by that that, it's in, that every person has it or that it's in absolutely every town or country or whatever, what we mean is that, you know, this is just, it's just contagious. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's growing all over the world. That's the way we would say it. And so what he's saying here is that throughout the known world at the time, which was the Mediterranean world, uh, Christianity had spread throughout. Now that is absolutely remarkable. When you consider the fact that a mere 30 years before, this is a tiny group of people um, isolated in the city of Jerusalem, really, um, at that point. And, and, and from this tiny group of people, this message has spread throughout the known world. How did that happen? Well, it didn't happen because these early Christians were celebrities, you know. They weren't rich or famous. They weren't powerful. They weren't politically connected or, or anything like that. They were very ordinary people. They really were, but they had an extraordinary message. And the message that they conveyed was powerful. The gospel is powerful. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation. When we speak the gospel, it is different than speaking any, anything else. Because when we speak the gospel, the power of God is, is unleashed. It's not like just normal information being conveyed. No, when, the, when this news is conveyed, God is present. He's present in, in power. And so when you're sitting across from a friend and you're not sure that they know Jesus, and you pray and you open your mouth to, to, to begin to try to share something about Jesus with them, to share the good news with them, it's not just you and that other person talking. The Holy Spirit is present. The Holy Spirit is present. And you need to understand that and be confident in that and know that God brings people to Himself through the proclamation of the Gospel. We need to be confident in this Gospel because it's 
because it can, it, it, it can, it's news that can, can, contains a certain power within it. You know, sometimes when we hear news, if it's good enough, it can have amazing effects upon people. So let's pull up this picture. Some of you um, maybe were, were, can remember when this happened. This is August of 1945. And, and, and some of you can remember when this happened. This is BJ Day. And this iconic photograph, which was a famous cover of Life magazine in August of 1945, it was taken in Times Square the moment after the news came down that Japan had surrendered and that World War II was over. The war was finally over. These people in Times Square had just gotten the news. Now this sailor and this nurse were perfect strangers <laughs> just moments before. But you know what? Good news, if it's good enough, can do amazing, strange things to people. Okay? Think about, think about what they were doing just moments before this news came down. Maybe the, the sailor was probably on liberty from his ship in New York Harbor. Maybe he was walking around exploring Manhattan. Maybe the nurse was, uh, was in between shifts. She was out getting things done. She was out running errands. And then suddenly, suddenly, this, this news comes down. The war is over. I mean, both of these young people have probably lost friends. Their lives have been put on hold uh, for years because of this catastrophe that was happening around the world. And it's over. It's over. The war is over. And they're, they're caught up. They're caught up in this news. Just moments before, I mean, they're out doing their own thing, right? They're, they're, they're caught up in their own lives, their own preoccupation, uh, their own agenda, what they're doing when suddenly this news comes down and it transforms everything because something so much greater and so much higher has happened. And they're caught up in the, they're caught up in the flow of this, of this news and there's a sense of, of euphoria. You know, that's what I pray for our church. I pray that we'll get so caught up in the gospel. You know, so caught up in this, this good news from heaven that we'll be so blown away by what God has done for us in Christ that it transforms our lives. That we're so caught up in the good news uh, that the free gift of salvation that we have received that it just produces such a love for Christ and a love for one another, and our love for our neighbors, that we'll want to go out and we'll, we'll, want, to, we'll want to share the good news of, of what God has done for us and what He can do for other people. You know, that's, that's what church is all about. That's, what, that's where the power of God really is. Someone asked Billy Graham, he said, if you could go back and you could change anything about your ministry, what would it be? Billy Graham said, I would just preach the gospel even more. <laughs> Because that's where the power is. Listen, have you experienced this power? Have you been caught up in this power, this news from heaven? Let's pray. As we just spend a few moments just reflecting before the Lord, you know, I would, I would ask you today, have you really experienced the gospel, the power of God? Have you looked to Christ 
and turn to Him and place your trust in Him as Savior and Lord. Listen, friend, the work has been done. This is good news. It's been done for you on your behalf. Here's the announcement. Jesus Christ died for sinners like you and me. Took our sins upon Himself on the cross, paid the penalty, died as our substitute so that we could be forgiven, have a new life, a clean slate. He was raised from the dead so that we can have eternal life. All we have to do is believe, receive this good news. Joyfully receive it. Listen, have have you done that? Are you trusting in this good news from heaven or are you trusting in yourself? The Bible says we can't save ourselves. But Jesus can. And the work has been done. Turn to Him today. Trust Him today. Turn, Turn from trying to do life your own way and turn to Jesus. Trust Him. Believe. Rest in what He's done. In just a few moments, we're going to have a song of invitation. And if you're trusting in Christ today, or if you have at any point in the past, and you've never gone public with that, Jesus tells us to make it public. Tells us to confess Him with our mouth. Even as we believe in our heart, we're to confess Him uh, with our mouth openly before others. In just a moment as we stand, I want to invite you to come. Next Sunday, we're going to see people baptized. Uh, here, our renovated baptistry, and uh, what a blessing that's going to be. If you're here today and uh, you've placed your trust in Christ, but you've never been baptized as a believer, we want to invite you uh, to come. We'll, we'll, we'll arrange for that to happen um, and set a date for that. Maybe you're here today and, and your need is for a church family. You say, I want to be a part of this community that's all about the gospel. And we want to invite you to come. You come today. We want, to, we want to welcome you. If you're here in need of prayer today, you want to pray with someone or come pray with me or one of our pastors, we invite you to come. So, Heavenly Father, we give you this time of invitation. Lord, would you work in hearts and lives now for your glory's sake. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Thanks for listening to this service at First Baptist Church. We hope you've been strengthened in your faith. We want to encourage you to visit our website at fbcsuffolk.org for more information about the church and about following Jesus. God bless you today.